Welcome to Stu's EV Universe, where you can find anything and everything electric vehicle. Today on the podcast, I have the pleasure of having Jeff Stoll as my guest. Uh, Jeff is an employee of Tesla and uh, currently is test engineer at Tesla. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Hello. How is everybody doing today? Yeah, everything's great. I, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. Uh, I think it was a few weeks ago or maybe a month or two ago, we, you were here in, back in Louisville, um, and we were able to grab a coffee together, which was really great. And uh, mm -hmm. I really loved our conversation. So um, I'm just really wanting to chat with you again and uh, get a little bit of idea, you know, as kind of an EV in, insider. You know, all, all of us, all of us are bombarded with EV news and spin everywhere. And I think it's nice to be able to talk to somebody that, on a daily basis, is is kind of in this. You know, uh, so I'm just absolutely thrilled to have you here. Um, I guess let's let's get started with your background, um, you know, as far as education and and the beginning of all of this, and and why cars, why. Is there something specific about EVs? Uh, we can unpack a lot there. Um, so honestly, the venture into cars, mechanics, anything of the sort, um, really wasn't a huge interest of mine. So growing up, um, education-wise, uh, I went to a couple of the schools there in Louisville that are uh, math, science, technology uh, kind of oriented, if you will. So like MST Magnet schools, I went to Mazik Middle School, uh, Manual High School, and did the MST programs for both of those. And graduating high school, I actually had a desire to pursue uh, math and computers. Uh, so I originally had enrolled at University of Kentucky and was planning on attending them in the fall. And then at the last minute, because I was bored and had nothing to do over the summer, a good friend of mine at the time uh, was taking classes at Jefferson Community Technical College down there, uh, downtown Louisville at uh, JCTC. Uh, there, I think it was like 8th and Chestnut or something. And it was just automotive classes. And he's like, hey, if you've got nothing better to do, I know you have some interest in cars, but not a lot. Why don't you come check it out? So I went to his classes for about a week and just kind of sat in to see what they were doing really enjoyed it and actually after that week was over i canceled my enrollment to university of kentucky and enrolled in classes at jctc and so pursued my career at being a mechanic um, to which i did mechanics at uh, a local independent shop there for a number of years um, kind of ventured away from mechanics a little bit seeing what other options there were for me uh, ended up back actually working at the Lexus dealership there uh, that's on Blankenbaker. And then back in late 2015, uh, I started the pursuit uh, to move to Tesla. And so I've actually been with Tesla since January of 2016. Uh, started as mobile service technician for Kentucky, uh, greater Louisville area, I guess, if you will, servicing as far east as um, kind of the Appalachia area of Eastern Kentucky went all the way to Evansville West and would even occasionally go down almost to, uh, the Southern border of Kentucky. So did that for a few years and then came out here, um, to California in late 2018. 
I've uh, been out here ever since. Uh, been in, this is my second uh, role, if you will. Um, originally, I came out as what we would call a uh, engineering technician. I did a lot more focus on uh, firmware validation than I did uh, what I do now. And then in during the pandemic, I transitioned to the role that I'm in now. Now, how does one get that first job at Tesla? Was it uh, you pursuing them, them pursuing you? How did that happen? Uh, that was my wife. <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, so um, I had seen the position open on their website, um, and I was really taken back at the fact that it said it was for Louisville, Kentucky, because obviously Tesla didn't have a presence, um, and they just now opened a service center there in Louisville. And so I was really confused at first, but I wasn't looking at the long picture at Lexus, just didn't seem feasible or enjoyable to me. And so I'd seen the position posted for a few months, actually. And so it was actually my wife that pushed me to apply. I think the biggest takeaway from the whole interview process was a conversation I had with my hiring manager at the time. And... One of the concerns I had is even though I was hybrid certified, um, obviously I wasn't certified for like a full electric vehicle. And we had had this conversation because I told him, I was like, I, I saw the position a few months ago and I just didn't think about applying to it because I didn't think I would be qualified. And he, when he asked why, and I said, because well, I don't know anything. And he's like, well, nobody does. He's like, that's the thing. He's like, this is the first time this is being done. So nobody's going to necessarily have experience with this. We're more looking for people that have the drive and want to learn and pursue this path versus somebody that's going to have, yeah, you know, 10 years experience. Nobody has that, right? We're the first company that's doing all electric vehicles. And so everything's going to be a big learning curve. He's like, so we kind of look past that and we're focused more on what what's driving you to want to be here. Um, and that was a really important takeaway for me because I've always had this fear of like not being good enough, right? It's almost almost kind of like a, almost kind of like imposter syndrome in a way, I guess. And so, and he just kind of like you know he calmed me from that and was just like, no, nope. he's like, you've got the drive. That's what we're looking for. Now with the Tesla Ranger program, so that's you know when I first met you, uh, you know being head of Evolve KY. Our Tesla people knew you, <laughs> you know, if they, if, if they had an issue, they knew you, even if it was a minor thing, they, they knew you because yeah. uh, that is something. And I don't know if it's something that Tesla um, invented, you know, the whole Tesla Ranger mobile service or if they, mm -hmm. if they were the first one to do that or if it was just they were the first one to do that in a big way out of necessity because they didn't have they don't have dealerships, you know. Um, right. so, you know, you would go out and, um, uh, made a lot of friends, you know, with, with Tesla's <laughs> and I mean, can you, can you speak to maybe, I find it interesting, you know, like, do you have stories about some of the, the calls you went on? I mean, what was the, perhaps the most common thing that you had to address? Maybe what was the most unusual thing? Um, do some of, of these calls kind of stick out more to you more than others? Uh, oh boy. Um, been so long since I've done any of those service calls. Um, I, uh, some things that stand out to me 
just from overall experiences um one every owner pretty much that i met was extremely friendly and they were just thrilled that they didn't have to go to a dealership you know and have a back and forth trying to get stuff sorted out um so now things things have changed a little bit um i think since when i started but when i started uh, just to give a little bit of a background, at the time, the way the Ranger program was set up was since there was no service center that was close to most of the owners in Kentucky, unless you were in northern Kentucky um, and had the Cincinnati Center close by, if anything needed to get done that I couldn't do at your house or I couldn't do at your office, um, I was equipped with uh, a flatbed trailer and I would tow the cars or I would trailer them, if you will, um, up to the service center in Cincinnati, do the work there and then come back um, and bring the car back to the owner. And usually I'd have a loaner with me so that they'd have something to drive. I think just the sheer joy that people had at how easy we were making it, you know, whether it was, you know, regular maintenance that needed to be done because there were annual inspections at the time that we really request or recommended getting done. You know, or if there was something that was more involved that needed to be done to the vehicle as far as in-depth repair goes, you know, it was just people were so happy that we were doing everything we could to make it easy on them and that it was as stress-free on them as possible. And I think that was really important. Um, everybody seemed to really enjoy that. I think some of the key encounters that will always stick out in my mind is going to pick up um, an owner's car and he was probably the only Tesla owner in the entire area at the time, as far as I can remember. And obviously pulling up with the truck and the trailer and unloading the loaner, waiting for the owner to show up. You know, a couple of people are curious and they come around and they're asking. And this one guy just, he, he says, oh, I think I've heard of you all. You all are owned by Toyota, right? And I said, no, no. I was like, we partnered with Toyota at one point. I was like, to help them out with one of their cars. It's like, but no, we we are our own company. It's like, nobody owns us. And he's like, oh. He's like, well, I thought you all were like a foreign company over there. Like, Toyota is in, in Japan and stuff. And I said, no. It's like, we're actually based in the U.S., out of California. And he just looked at me quizzically for a second. And he was just like, oh might as well be a foreign company if you're based out of California. And I was like, and it threw me off. I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I would think you'd be thrilled that a car is being made in the U.S., but okay. <laughs> it was such a strange encounter that this person was just like, oh, yeah. He's like, it might as well be foreign. Okay. Um, I don't think I'll ever forget that encounter. I mean, the guy was super nice about the whole thing. And, like, I tried to, like, just talk to him about it. But, yeah, it was such a weird encounter. And, and again, it was, you know, it could have just been a lack of exposure. You know, the guy that whose car I was picking up from, like I said, he's, he was at the time, he was probably the only person in that area that I, that I knew of. I mean, there could have been other owners, but he's the only one that I knew of that it was in the area that had one of these. So, you know, this encounter with this individual, I mean, yeah, he's probably never seen one of these cars and has no idea what's going on with it. Uh, so it was just, it was a fun encounter. Um, and I, and I think that always stick out as one of my favorite stories. Uh, another one that I can, if we've got time, another one oh, yeah. that I think was really awesome was, the cars, obviously, when they were uh, being, um, you know, when they were first coming out with them, right? And this was probably right around the time, this was just after, because I started right when we launched Model X. So this was probably like a few months after. 
And to be fair, not knowing anything other than they're expensive, um, you know, a lot of people would tend to to kind of lean away from that. And there is uh, there's a family that that has a Model X. I don't know if they still have it now, but they had a Model X, and they were in an area that was um, really popular for farming. And so he was uh, he was recalling a story about how they asked him at this meeting to talk about his Tesla and talk about kind of his early experience with it and so on and so forth. And he said he was really worried about getting to the point where he was going to talk about price. And when it came to that point, somebody's like, oh, well, yeah, how much, how much does it run? And, you know, he's really nervous to answer that question, but he said he did. And to his surprise, people didn't go, oh, you know, in shock and awe. They weren't. And, and then it hit him that these people that are farmers, you know, their equipment's not cheap. You know, a good tractor setup is going to be 100 plus K, right? It's they're used to these kinds of expenses. And so it didn't really surprise them to hear about, you know, this new electric vehicle costing over $100,000. They were just like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's not horrible. <laughs> so it's, so that that's another that's another good one. And again, that wasn't me personally. That was one of our owners who uh, who had that encounter. But it, it always sticks out because it's like, yeah, I guess I never really thought about, you know, how much money goes into farming equipment, you know, whether it's tractors, combines, what have you. It's like there's, there's a huge investment uh that they have to put out uh for the for their uh, farm to you know be able to turn a profit and it's like so yeah at the end of the day it's like oh another 100k yeah it's not too bad <laughs> yeah and i mean and things have changed so much i mean talking about farming i just read uh there's a tractor that's going to be electric tractor that's going to be built in ohio i mean this area mm-hmm. is really um going to be benefiting a lot, Kentucky and Ohio and and this whole area, from battery manufacturing, vehicle manufacturing, um, and again, these tractors, electric tractors, it's amazing to me. I mean, they they are, it sounds like they're autonomous, they have autonomous capabilities, you can can, um, control up to eight of them, and they're electric, so you're, you're talking about a lot less to to fuel and maintain these things. Um, so if these promises come true, I mean, that could really have a, a rippling effect, which is amazing. Um, I'm, I guess I'm curious just because so much has changed in, in such a short amount of time. I mean, what are your impressions of like when you first started out with Tesla and how things felt and and operated and now um obviously there's a lot more players in the market uh they've expanded with you know more gigafactories and and to new places um it, it really is it's funny because like i remember when i started evolve you know seven eight years ago we would always say oh well you know, I, I really wonder what it'll be like in five ten years you know yeah. and now it's sort of like five ten years and I'm like, holy moly, you know, things have have really exploded. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm still saying, oh, I wonder what it'll be like in five or ten years because they're just there's so many moving pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what are your your thoughts? Yeah. Um, so I'm humor. I'm humored that you say that. Oh, gosh. OK, so I so I'm going to have to rewind the clock back to 2012, actually, because 
Um, I have a fun story, and you talk about where we see ourselves in five, ten years from then. Because in 2012, I was in a training class. I was working at Lexus at the time. And I was in a training class um, just outside of Chicago in uh, Naperville. Uh, that's where one of Lexus' uh, training centers is. And in this course, we have you know our, our teacher that's there. And um, he's talking about how things were kind of rocky in the, sh- in the greater Chicago area. And we're like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, we just lost a bunch of our master technicians in some of our dealerships. And we're like like a bunch of them like what happened and he's like oh he's like this company that's like coming in and trying to like stir things up called tesla and he's like you know but they're all electric and everything and i remember being in that class and being like an all electric car company that's not gonna last (laughs) and then here it was in 2016 i'm starting to work for him uh and here we are in 2022 right so it's like a decade later and it's like i would have never expected things to be where they are now uh you know, 10 years ago. Now, looking back on things, I wish I was smarter 10 years ago and knew that it was the right path to go at that point. Uh, <laughs> because I probably, I probably would be a little bit happier, um, than having spent another four years at, at the Lexus dealership, but that's okay. Uh, I still got here, still, uh, thrilled. Um, I, I'm excited. I think not just where we're at now, but like, just seeing how other companies are catching on, seeing other startups that are really putting forth an effort. Um, me personally, I'm an advocate in general for electrification of cars. Uh, and it's weird because I grew up a gearhead. Um, I loved performance. I loved the smell of race gas going to the drag strip there at Ohio Valley, you know, watching all the cars race and everything. And, and, and I, I loved that once I got into to actually working on cars. It was such a fun thing. It was so different getting into an EV, right? It's like, it's still fast. It's still got great performance, but it's quiet, right? You don't hear exhaust. You aren't smelling any fumes of the race gas. And um, and so it's weird to think back that it's like, you know, it's like what part of me kind of changed. But I think as I got a little bit older, I started to see the bigger picture of where we need to be as a society. And as fun as it can be to have those kinds of things it's not the right path that we need to be on and so seeing you know you talk about the the ripple effect right and it's like seeing what has come out of other companies you know and and i mean sure like i think everybody wants to always give tesla credit and i'm okay with with some of that but but i think it takes the drive and the desire of other people to want to make that change as well, right? If if you didn't have RJ wanting to sit there and pursue this path with Rivian and he just, you know, said, yeah, I agree with what Tesla's doing. That's great. At the end of the day, you have to realize if we were the most successful EV car company ever and the only EV car company ever, you still wouldn't put everybody in a Tesla because not everybody wants to be like everybody else. Every, you know, we're not going to be able to create potentially every platform that's going to satisfy every vehicle owner out there on the road. Um, and you need other people to put forth effort to transition away from what we've grown to know for so long 
Um, so I am, I'm an advocate for any company that's willing to put forth the effort. Um, it's, it is not easy to start from scratch and build from the ground up, especially when you look at the automotive industry. I mean, even if you didn't look at Tesla, I mean, like companies like Daewoo tried to enter the market and Daewoo didn't even last a decade. Um, and they were building gasoline cars, right? Their, their goal was to be a more affordable platform for the everyday consumer. They weren't trying to create performance cars, but they were trying to provide something that was going to be a better um, choice for you as far as economy goes. And they didn't last. You know, it's like they didn't even make it 10 years. And so you... Your, any company, again, Tesla, Rivian, whoever's out there that's looking to do a startup in, in the EV market, you're pretty much staring this huge opposition in the face, you know, and I don't know, you know, I mean, bullies, if you will, you know, and choosing to walk past them and say, no, this is the path I want to take. So I applaud any company that's willing to make that effort because um, it's not easy, right? It's... It's you're choosing the you're choosing the unmarked path and you're going at it and it's it's going to take a long time to potentially, you know, garner some level of success from it. Um, No, I mean, even like in the very beginning, you know, I think Elon himself said we're not able to and don't want to do this alone, you know. They, they were a catalyst, and I think they always felt like they were going to be a catalyst, perhaps a very successful catalyst, which is, which is <laughs> a good thing, um, mm-hmm. but uh, a catalyst nonetheless, you know, because if, if they're just the lone wolf, um, that's not going to achieve what, you know, um, Tesla and I think a lot of the environmentalists and everybody, you know, that wants to move, you know, move things forward, you know, want to achieve. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you're seeing like Rivian now. It's interesting. I mean, doing like mobile service, you know, and again, it, it grows out of the fact that they don't have the service centers out yet, but that's okay. You know, it, it sometimes you just have to, you know, use what you got, you know, and, yeah. and, and take it one day at a time. And, and each day is a, a new battle. So, um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Can you talk a little bit about like what your role is now at, at Tesla and what you do? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so now the team that I am on is called Vehicle Gateway. So it's a component that's inside um, the onboard computer, uh, and I do validation for them, um, and that varies from day to day as far as like what that entails. Um, some of it is just running some automated regression testing, um, ensuring that changes don't break anything. Um, sometimes it's implementing new features that we want to add in as things change on the car. Some, I, I've touched briefly on some like vehicle behavior stuff, but nothing that would ever be anything that, you know, a customer would see. Cause, cause honestly the gateway component is one of those like behind the scenes components, right? We don't, you, as long as everything on our end is working, you don't even know that we are there. 
I, I joke sometimes that honestly being on the team sometimes feels kind of like the Maytag man um, from the old commercials. You know, it's like everything's working. It's like, well, you don't really need me right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I've been doing that for about two years now. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting role in the sense of like I, I moved to this role mainly because I wanted a little bit more exposure to programming. So previously, the role I was in um, was a little bit more mechanical focus uh, as far as like building out some testers, um, doing a lot more stuff that would be considered probably mechanical engineering. But I, I had done, and again, we're talking, you know, high school is probably the last time I did any actual like programming languages, but like I remember really loving C++ and really had this desire to kind of jump back into it and so it just so happened that my mentor um uh for the team you know we were chatting one day uh and she was like well you know she's like we're gonna we're gonna need a couple of people because we got a couple of people that are kind of moving on and everything and uh, you know if you want like <laughs> spots open so i was like all right cool let's give it a shot um and honestly it's been I mean, I don't know, it's, it's weird to say, like, you know, I feel like every time somebody moves on, especially when I see, like, LinkedIn, you know, they're like, oh, it's the best decision I've ever made, right? And it's almost kind of cliche um, to an extent because, you know, every decision to move on is the best decision I've ever made so far. Um, but honestly, uh, choosing to be on this team uh, really has been the best decision because the people that I work with on this team are amazing. Um, they're an awesome group, uh, extremely knowledgeable, and it's one of those things too that it, it kind of circles back a little bit to when I first started with Tesla and I was like, Oh, you know, it's like, I don't really know much of this stuff, you know? And, and, and it was reiterated when I joined this team, it's like, well, it's like, there's a lot of stuff that you all work with that I just don't have a good exposure to. And they kind of reiterated the same thing from when I got hired. They're like, we don't care. We'll teach you, right? Like if there's a coding thing that you've not encountered before, guess what? There's YouTube videos. There's there's Google. You have resources available. We've got books here that you can flip through, right? Like there's there's no shortage of resources. They're like, we want somebody that's willing to put forth the effort. That's what we're looking for. And I was like, okay. So no, it kind of comes full circle. That's that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I guess going back to like the five ten years thing. Any thoughts about, you know, from 2022, almost 2023, five, 10 years from now? I mean, you know, things are moving fast and, uh, you know, we have things that have been promised to us for, for a while, like full self-driving. And um, now, you know, the whole thing about the Tesla bot is, is fascinating. You know, are, are we going to be, you know, pulling up to a Wendy's and having uh, Tesla bots serve us and, uh, you know, uh, from the back seat of our, of our autonomous car. I mean, what, what is, what is it going to look like? Um, you know, and, and is it going to, I feel like, you know, we could be living in like a Sim city kind of, you know, land, you know, these decisions, what, what kind of impact is that going to make? You know, I mean, I know there's the argument that, you know, there's going to be a lot more prosperity because of, you know, the technology. And that can be the case. Yeah. But sometimes there's unforeseen stuff, too, you know. Um, yeah. So the autopilot stuff like FSD, just because I don't work in that group, I, I mean, even to me, it's a black box. 
Um, everything that they do there is, is so close to the chest that it's like the only person that really probably at any point in time fully knows what's going on there is Elon himself. <laughs> and that's just because like he's so in touch with everybody there, right? And he's always wanting to test whatever the latest and greatest build is that they have. So unfortunately, I don't know where we will be in five, ten years. Um, I think... And, and the Tesla bot's definitely fun. I, that was a surprise to me. I, I did not expect that at the last, like, uh, event that he had where he kind of announced that. Um, I'm curious to see how that progresses. I think for me, personally, what I would like to see in five to ten years isn't so much specifically around, like, is my car going to take me through my drive through um, am I going to have a Tesla bot at home, you know, to take care of, of things while I'm out? Um, I think for me, a lot of what I hope for is that it one improves quality of life for everybody, but as weird as it sounds is that it allows us to have more time. And, and how I'm going to unpack that is probably about three months ago, I watched this video and it was talking about the concept of time and how we all have the same amount of time. You have the same number of minutes in a day that I do. It's no different. And we only have so much time to get done what we want or what we need to get done. And those that come from a wealthier background or are more affluent can, in a sense, buy time because they have the ability to spend money to have other things that would normally be everyday routine things for us, right? And they end up with more free time in their lives because they have the ability to buy it in a sense, right? It's like they can have somebody that goes and does the grocery for them. Um, they can have somebody that takes care of the house for them. And I, I start to see, and it, and, it, and it could be a combination of me getting older. It could be a combination of now that I have kids, whatever it may be, I'm, I'm starting to pay more attention to the fact that my time is finite. And if there are things that this technology allows everyone, not just not just the 1%, but everyone to have more time, then to me, that's a big win. I, I, I don't have a deep enough understanding of what it is that we're doing to see how it's going to make everyone prosperous. Right. I, I love the idea. I mean, one of the big things out here in California that I wish we could have a solution to is the homelessness problem. I mean, it's rampant out here. You know, I'm sure I'm sure there's problems most cities, especially larger cities. But out here, it's just everywhere. And I do wish that technology could help in a way to solve that. I just don't have a deep enough understanding to know how what we're doing now is going to help solve that problem. Um, but if it can, then I'm all for it. 
Yeah, the well, the environment is something that's I think interesting, um, and this uh, Inflation Reduction Act is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of talk about that because it just passed, and uh, I have friends that are saying this is um, a really big deal. I have some friends that are saying, "Oh my God, yeah, I read it, and uh, there are some things in there that are just absolutely awful." Um, so I, I'm I'm hearing from both sides on this, and I know that it's very complex. Um, I'm not sure if it. I mean, time will tell. I'm not sure if it needed to be this complex or not. You know, the the thrust of it seems to be that they want things to be happening in the United States for people that live in the United States, which I I think is uh, at its core a a good thing. Um, but we're also saddled with, you know, it's almost like we can't have good things and we can't have an easy, easy way of it because, um, all of a sudden there's all this interest in electric vehicles. There are companies that are stepping up, you know, big companies like Chevy and Ford. Uh, there are new companies out there that are, are, are really trying hard like Rivian, you know, um, and Fisker, you know, is, is another one. And there's a few of them, you know, so, but. We're also at a time when um, there's part shortages and chip shortages and concerns about, you know, getting enough materials for batteries and where batteries materials are sourced. Um, So I'm kind of wondering how all of that is going to play out, you know? Yeah. And and you you hit on an important topic, right? Like battery materials are finite, right? We, there's only so much that is present on earth for us to make batteries with. Now we can find other ways to make batteries. Obviously, you know, lithium ions is not the only way to make a battery, but regardless of the material that you use, you're limited to some extent. And so even if you have every company, you know, I think you have to realize that if every company picks the same path, then you will probably, you know, um, exhaust materials much quicker, obviously. I mean, it's, it's a simple, like, basic idea, yeah. It's like if, if we all choose, you know, to go this lithium-ion route and we all choose the same material, then eventually we are going to run into an issue where now we're going to have exhausted all of the material and what do we do? Um, one of the key things that I think about, you know, and it's like I, I don't know how how things are working over there because I don't know anybody that works there but um, Redwood Materials is working on um, you know battery recycling essentially right you know I think I think they recognize this as as a global problem you know not just a Tesla problem you know any company out there whether it is you know whether it is these legacies like GM or Ford or whoever and you know or startups such as Rivian Lucid Uh, Fisker, whoever it is, you know, at some point, right, like you, you have to figure out what you're going to do with this. And so uh, I, I'm really excited to see what they come up with, and what they're able to do with, you know, recycling, with regard to recycling um, materials for these packs. I'm hoping, you know, I mean, probably the honest answer is they probably won't be able to do a hundred percent, right? Like there's still probably going to be some material that's going to not be able to be recycled or reused to some extent. But, you know, right now, the way I look at it is anything greater than zero is good. 
so even if they're starting out you know and say two percent i think the the percentage is supposed to be pretty high that can be recycled mm -hmm. which is which is great you know absolutely yeah um so. but long term you know the other thing that i'm kind of hoping for i think long term and it's it's kind of tangentially related to what what Tesla's doing, what Rivian's doing, what Lucid's doing, um, and any other startup really uh, that's here in the U.S. is trying to restructure the traditional dealership model in a way that makes it more appealing for you as an owner to not be stressed about going to a dealership. I, you know, I, I think back to when I worked at Lexus and even in the service side, if you came in and your car needed a new timing belt and a water pump and it was due for that maintenance wise, we'd give you an estimate and let you know, hey, this is what it's probably going to cost. And if you didn't like the price, well, Lexington was an hour away and you'd call the Lexington dealership and say, well, Lexus of Louisville was quoting me thousand dollars oh well if you come here we'll do it for nine hundred dollars right you know and it's like this all this back and forth right and it's and and then markups on vehicles my gosh i can't believe some of these sticker prices i've seen posted online of markup for new vehicles because of you know limited you know uh production right it's like oh it's like well you know it's like we got this i think somebody posted a rav4 on uh on twitter or something and it was a sticker price and it was like probably 47 or something whatever the toyota was it was like 47 it was a decently loaded car but then the dealer markup like and i'm sh i'm hoping it was a joke was forty thousand dollars and i'm just like why like and this is and this is an inherent problem that exists because these dealerships are independently owned and operated and so they are given more freedom on what to do when it comes to pricing for you. Again, whether it's sales or service, it doesn't matter. It's it's in their hands. Toyota doesn't necessarily, you know, come. I mean, Toyota, I think, has some, you know, say so, or at least they, you know, they try and stay disconnected as much as possible. Right. Like there's a certain price that the dealership pays to the manufacturer to bring that car. And a lot of times that's usually when you see like the MSRP, but then they can mark it up whatever they want. So, you know, I think Ford was one of the ones that went in and was trying to kind of crack down on that and was trying to like send around documentation saying like, hey, if we find out that you're marking up these vehicles like Mach-E or whatever, we find out that you're marking up these vehicles, you know, um, to get these customers like, you know, we'll take them away from you, right? Like we will, we will pull your ability to sell these vehicles because that's not the right thing for the customer. So I hope, you know, that that has, you know, a rippling effect, right? And other dealerships, you know, or other manufacturers catch on to that. But I feel like as long as you have, you either, you either need manufacturers to really crack down on it and really institute some hard limits um, otherwise you just need to eliminate independent owners. <laughs> um, and I hate saying that because obviously that's a livelihood, right? Like that's somebody's job. There is a salesperson there. Um, you know, but at the same time, 
you know, while it may not be a, a necessarily a one-to-one, it's like we also have physical locations, right, that you can go to. We have Tesla advisors. We have Tesla service people. We have mechanics, right? It's, you know, when people, you know, sit there and say, like, abolish the traditional dealership, they're not saying get rid of all the jobs. They're just saying transition them to a job that's going to be, you know, easier for me to deal with. Um, and I think I think that's important to see some kind of refinement um, come out of this. And, again, it, it's not necessarily just uh, – you know, something like Tesla related or whatever. But I think all main, all new startups seem to be taking that approach. And I'm glad to see that that's happening because um, I'm hoping then that's another thing that legacy um, will kind of shift on and, and kind of, again, maybe help update that a little bit. Yeah, because at the traditional dealership, it's almost like a game, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like, how, yeah. how can I get like the best cost, you know, the best price? and kind of hold my head up high, you know, and it, it seems like a silly game, you know, I, yeah. I remember, let me, let me yeah. go talk to, let me go talk to the sales manager and see if I can get you that, you know, extra hundred dollars off. Yeah. Let me see what I can do there. Yeah. I remember like when my wife and I were just starting out, you know, we were students at UConn, very little money, you know, and, uh, there was a Tony's garage. It was in stores, Connecticut. Um, you know, Larry who owned Tony's garage, that on a, as a side thing, you know, his business was fixing cars. He went to auctions, got cars that he thought were in decent shape and resold them to, you know, community members and students. But mm-hmm. one day I just sat down with him and I'm like, you know, so what's the deal with all of this? He goes, you know, um, I mark it up. I want $500 over what I buy it for. You know, you're a student and, uh, I, you know, he was being transparent. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you deserve to get some money. You know, I'm not going to the auction. I'm not spending my time. I'm not looking this thing over. I'm not saying they shouldn't get anything, but it should just be fair, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then you do see, and maybe they're the outliers, but you do see like the F-150s being marked up ridiculously, you know, on, on Facebook and stuff. And you you do wonder if it's real because it's so outrageous <laughs> yeah. and, and it could be real. It could just be, you know, well, it could be supply and demand. It could be that they really don't want to sell it anyway because their their supply is limited and they just want to keep it on the lot. So that's one way for them to keep it on the lot. But in the me- meantime, you know, the uh, the optics are terrible, you know, um, so it doesn't seem to serve yeah. anybody. Um, well, I know, and, and I do want to add a little bit because you, because earlier you talked about, you know, like the shortages and everything. I think one of the things that companies like Tesla, Rivian, Lucid, whoever, I think one of the things that we potentially benefit from um, versus these legacies is when when these potential issues come up, right? Like, and I know Elon's talked about part shortages before, chip shortages. And one of the things that he had mentioned previously, and, and I think I think there's a lot of truth to it, is legacies, unfortunately, when they're faced with these shortages, they don't have the ability to switch over or iterate to a new chipset as quickly as we do. Because so much of our development is in-house. You know, for us, it's more probably along the lines of, all right, let's contact a supplier. Let's figure out a chipset that's going to that's going to be similar, right, to the specs that we need. And at the end of the day, you know, I can think of a couple instances where it's like we go to the, you know, we go to the supplier and it's like we don't need anything else other than the chip. Like, 
we don't need you to do any development on this. We just need supply. And we will take care of the rest. And that's what they do. And so, like, you know, we get a new chipset in. And our own team, you know, whatever team it is that is getting this new chip for, they go to work and they write the instruction set for this chip. They build everything out to spec to what we want, right? Like, again, the chip has to have, like, a certain set of parameters that we need it to meet but then it's like anything and everything that the chip's capable of doing we customize it to what's going to fit our needs and companies like ford and gm and honda and toyota most of these are third party supplied so they have to sit there and get a you know communication from a supplier and say hey by the way we're running low on this chipset we're going to need to switch over to something so now they have to have a meeting about it then they have to have you know this big decision about what chip they're going to go with because now they have to get advice from the supplier they have to evaluate obviously cost and everything else and then by the time that they make a decision they're probably looking two three months down the road and there's not even anything developed yet, right? Like you're you're still looking at like, okay, now they have to get this and now they're going to have to have meetings with the chip supplier and they're going to have to work on the, the software development for it to get this compatible with there. And then they're going to have to get it in and start doing all this testing. And, and you're looking, you know, and again, I don't know the timelines because I've never had to deal with it, but it's like, I can't imagine it taking any less than 12 months for them to switch over. I remember hearing a story about Ford there in Louisville renting out empty parking lots in one of the old raceways just storing trucks because they didn't have enough parts but they had to keep the lines moving so it's like these trucks just sat you know with the inability to sell them until they could get new supplier parts for them you know and and for us i mean i can think to you know i can't tell you which component it was but i remember uh, one of my good friends you know they they brought up a chip essentially got a new chip from, you know, or a different chip or whatever. And they were able to bring it up in a month, a month, right? That was, that was writing the full instruction set that was doing, you know, on, you know, validation on the board, validation in the car, you know, I mean, amazing, right? Like, and you, you can't iterate that quickly with these legacy manufacturers. And it's unfortunate, but I think that's one of the things that's going to make it a little bit easier for us. You know, again, we still need to have a chip supply. So if like there are no chips, it doesn't matter what we do. Right? It's like if there are no chips, we're screwed either way. But but if there's a reliable alternative, we have a much easier time, I think, being able to transition to that. Whereas a legacy manufacturer is going to be potentially far behind. Um, I'd love I'd love to be an analyst and know when the chip shortage or supply issues are going to no longer be, be, be a point of discussion. Um, but unfortunately not working in that area of the market, I, 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 if it were up to me, I would say tomorrow. And it's like, we can, we can just be done with this tomorrow and we'll be fine. And it seems to come out of nowhere. You know, all of a sudden we were talking chip, yeah. chips. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it, it's definitely something that, you know, I, I guess I never thought about, right. It's, you know, it's like start a code and it's like, okay, everybody's got to, you know, like, you know, everybody's got to kind of step back a little bit, you know, play it safe. And, you know, again, it's like, I'm an end user a lot of times for this stuff. So yeah, I didn't think about, you know, how it was going to affect the manufacturing industry. No idea. Right. It's like, wait, it's like there's, there's chip issues. Like, isn't it all machines that make that? And it's like, no, right. <laughs> it's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of human involvement to get that done. Well, this has been great. Now I really appreciate your time today. 
Um, anything else that you wanted to bring up, or are we good? I could probably go on for days. <laughs> I could probably take up more podcast time than you want. Um. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end it. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stu's EV Universe. I would like to thank Eden Unger for creating the artwork and the music for this episode. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe, and share, as that's the only way we can continue to grow. Now you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash EVU. Remember, the EV revolution runs on your energy. I'm Stuart Unger. See you next time.